Matthew 18, or I'm sorry, Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this marvelous word that you've given us. We look to you, O Lord, uh, that we might be taught by you, that we might be instructed by uh, the Holy Spirit this morning, and that, Lord, we may be changed um, as your word becomes clear to our minds, Lord. We pray that you would give us the grace uh, to employ this word in our hearts and employ it in our lives. So to these ends, Lord, we do pray in Jesus' precious name. Everyone said, Amen. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying this powerful object lesson, and I hope I'm not belaboring it. I don't want anyone to grow tired of any portion of God's Word, uh, but we haven't really done anything with uh, Jesus' message on prayer yet, and I don't want to skip this until we have, because there's still more in this passage. Um, but just by, by way of review, what have we been doing? Jesus is traveling into the city of Jerusalem, we're told in verse 18. We're told that he becomes hungry. He sees a fig tree. You know, we've looked at this uh, imagery. Um, you know, he approaches the fig tree. He's looking for fruit on the fig tree, which is in leaf, and he finds uh, no leaves on the tree. And he pronounces judgment on the tree, saying, may no fruit ever come from you again. And uh, this was uh, this, this fig tree in leaf, if you will, is serving as a powerful object lesson actually in two ways. Uh, in one way, the, the object lesson is here is this tree that is fully in leaf but uh, without fruit. And when we, when we study that in the context, you know, that was really the condition of a large portion of the church at the time. It was very much in leaf. It had all of the sacrifices going on. It had all of the things uh, that had been commanded by Moses going on. There was lots of activity, lots of things happening, uh, but n not a lot of fruit taking place. So the fig tree is emblematic, if you will, uh, of the church uh, being in leaf, but not being fruitful. And Jesus uh, pronounces judgment on the fig tree, and the, and the object lesson changes at that point. The fig tree that is in leaf now is the fig tree withered. And that is another picture. It's another snapshot of the judgment that awaits uh, a, uh, a nominal Christianity, if you will. Uh, what do I mean by the word nominal? Uh, it means name only. When we're Christian in name only, uh, we need to look to that fig tree uh, and see it in leaf uh, and then see that fig tree withered. Uh, there's a very powerful lesson there, isn't it? It's, it's really hard to forget once you understand it, isn't it? It's really hard to get that image out of your head. Uh, and and that's, the, that, that's, you know, that's the picture here. That's exactly what Jesus 
is up to here. Now, verse 20 tells us that when the disciples saw the tree, uh, that is, they saw it withered, uh, that they marveled, saying, how did this fig tree wither at once? How did this happen uh, so quickly? And, uh, you know, Jesus has for sure demonstrated enormous power here. And the disciples, in one sense, are right to marvel over this power. But I, I think we see a little snapshot here of something that reminds us of ourselves. Uh, the disciples are often very slow to get it, aren't they? I mean, if we think about it, uh, what have the disciples witnessed as they've been with Jesus? You know, with a couple of fish and a little bit of bread, he feeds 5,000 men besides women and children. Then he does it again, 4,000 men besides women and children. They're out in the boat in a raging sea, and with a word, Jesus calms the sea. People are bringing uh, 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 their sick uh, uh, to Jesus and he's miraculously healing them and in some cases raising people from the dead. The disciples are witnessing this. Uh, he's exercising demons uh, out of people, very clearly showing his authority over the demonic realm, which is going to be something that we're going to be looking at next week as we consider the authority of Jesus. They've seen all of these things, yet they're marveling over the fig tree as if it was something that uh, was hard for Jesus to do. And I pause to make this point because if you're like me, sometimes um, you can kind of get down on yourself a little bit thinking, man, I'm really kind of slow at picking this stuff up. Well, the disciples were with Jesus. And uh, we can see very clearly that they were slow in picking this up as well. And you have to, you have to admire the brutal honesty of the Gospels, don't you? I mean, if men would have written this. I think there'd be some editing going on here. Um, if it was just a, a man-made document, I don't think we would want all these warts uh, uh, showing. I think we'd want a little makeup to cover up some of this stuff. But we have it uh, brutally, give, given to us brutally, uh, honestly. Now, notice how Jesus responds to the disciples. And that's really what our message this morning is going to focus on is Jesus' response in verses 21 and 22. He says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Uh, I pray that next week when we read these verses in, in our worship service, as part of our scripture memory uh, verse commitment that we have uh, that we're going to see three things in this text here that Jesus is showing us he's making a promise in this text uh, he's setting forth a condition in this text and we also see that there's an expectation in this text and uh, let, let's take a look at each one of these things we see that there's a promise uh, let's, read, let's look at it again. Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown to the sea, it will happen. And look at verse 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. We can see the promise there, can't we? Um, and the key to understanding this really rests in the proverb that Jesus uses. Notice he says, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. You know, there's, there's 
if, if you look at commentaries on this verse, there's a lot of, sometimes a lot of ink spilled in some of them about trying to figure out which mountain Jesus was pointing to and which sea the mountain was going to go into. And you can read all of that stuff. And, and I think that that's so way off. Uh, um, it's hardly the point of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is using a proverb that's similar to a proverb that we use today. Sometimes, has anyone ever used or heard the problem, able to move mountains? You've probably heard it. Maybe it's not part of your vocabulary, but you probably have heard it. And I think we all kind of understand what it means, don't we? It, able to move mountains means able to overcome great difficulties. You know, if we're traveling, uh, it, it's, it's a lot easier to travel across flat, relatively flat ground than it is to go over mountains. You know, for probably four or five years, Tammy was after me about getting a mountain bike. You know, this is a number of years ago. And uh, I, I finally said, okay, we'll go get some mountain bikes. And, and uh, we, we got a really nice park near our house, Thomason Run Park. And I said, we'll go down to Thomason Run Park and we'll, we'll ride mountain bikes. That sounds good. And so we go and we get these mountain bikes and, and we go down to Thomason Run Park and we start riding. And I loved it. All the hills down there and the trails. And it was just reminding me of the old dirt bike days. I just really got into that. Well, that's not what Tammy had in mind. <laughs> Tammy was more of a rails-to-trails kind of uh, mountain, mountain bike riding. Uh, if anybody's familiar with that, the rails-to-trails, they, they've picked up a lot of the old railway beds, you know, picked up the, the railroad ties, and, and they have bike trails in a lot of those. There's a lot of them throughout Ohio uh, and elsewhere. The, the, the terrain is a lot easier to... It's, it's largely flat and... Uh, it's not that there isn't hills, there's hills, but it's not like uh, Thomason Run Park um, where there's extreme hills. The whole idea is, this whole idea of mountains, um, it, it deals with difficulties. Jesus is, I, I think if we're fussing over which mountain Jesus is pointing to and which sea Jesus is talking about, you see how that's, that, that, that's not the point here. The point, what Jesus is saying to us and the promise that he's making to us is the promise to overcome great difficulties. You know, take that in for a minute. The promise is the promise to overcome great difficulties. We all have great difficulties in our life, don't we? We have a prayer list that's on the back table back there that's full of difficulties. We've prayed for some difficulties uh, this morning. And, you know, that's just a small amount of the difficulties in our lives. How many come in here every Sunday morning with difficulties that you don't discuss with anyone? That's every single person in this room. Well, here's a promise to overcome those difficulties. Isn't that wonderful? A promise to overcome difficulties. You know, strong-willed children, difficult people in the workplace, addiction, abuse, evil of all kinds. There's just no end to the list. And notice what Jesus says down at the bottom in verse 22. He says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Now, we kind of pause here, I think, don't we? Wait a second. Anything we ask? I mean, <laughs> anything? Whatever you ask in prayer, you're going to receive? We, we kind of want taken to the fine print here, don't we? <laughs> Show me the fine print. This sounds too good to be true. And, and many have... have really uh, pointed to verses like this and said, listen, you can't trust the Bible. 
You can't trust this stuff. Look, look at this. I mean, this is not realistic. Whatever you ask in prayer, you're going to receive. I'll give you an example. I've prayed for this, this, and this, and I've prayed for years, and nothing has ever happened. Has anybody ever heard those kinds of things expressed? Um, once in a while, uh, when, you know, when I'm counseling folks, I'll hear things like this, uh, especially as we're talking about an issue that's in someone's life. And, and, and you want, as you're getting to know people, you want to know a little bit about where they are and what kind of spiritual disciplines are present in, in their life. And you might say, well, have you prayed about this? And it's, in one sense, it's a question I'm, I'm kind of cautious to ask because it sounds almost kind of stupid. It's like, well, doy, yes, I've prayed for this. Um, and it, it's then when you'll, you'll hear this kind of thing. Yeah, I've prayed, prayed for years and I might as well just be talking to the wind because uh, nothing, nothing has ever happened. Well, how, what do we say to that? You know, what do we say at the water cooler when someone says that to us? What do, what do we say? First thing we want to do is take it really seriously. Don't downplay it. Don't act like it isn't really true because it's probably very much true. And they probably have prayed about an issue for years and years and years. And uh, in their eyes, there has been no answer for years and years. What do we say to that? I, one, one place I like to go, and there's many places in the Bible you could go, uh, but I like to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, you know the story. Um, Jesus goes to the garden. There's a place where uh, he and his disciples like to pray. And uh, that's also the place where Jesus will be arrested and then carried off and then he'll get that, that uh, horrible trial and he'll be crucified at the end of it. But, but there Jesus is praying and Matthew 26, 39 tells us that uh, as Jesus is praying to the Father, he says these words, he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here he is praying, and he's in great anguish because he knows what awaits him. And he's saying, Father, you know, if there's, if there's some other way that this, can be, that this can be done, you know, if there's some other way, uh, please, you know, we can understand that prayer, can't we? Uh, we can appreciate that prayer. And with the word cup, uh, Jesus is referring to all of the suffering that awaited him. And, uh, uh, but notice that Jesus adds at the end, not as I will, uh, but as you will. Now, what do we learn? From, what's, what's the point in bringing this up? Well, sometimes we pray for things that aren't according to God's will. Now, probably more than sometimes, probably often actually, we pray for things that aren't according to God's will. Um, and here we have, you know, in the case, uh, 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 you know, it, it, was, it was the Father's will uh, that Jesus go to the cross, you know, and really in one, you know, in, in, in many senses in this, we have to be careful with this, uh, with this verse. It, it certainly is Jesus' will as well. He goes to the cross willingly. But as he is suffering in that anguish, he is asking for another way, uh, if there could possibly be another way. But what Jesus is doing is he's expecting the Father to answer him. He's expecting an answer. Again, I, I don't want to pick on commentaries, but I have a commentary on my shelf that uh, states that Jesus' prayer was unanswered in the garden, uh, that uh, his prayer goes unanswered. And then there's a footnote, and at the bottom of the page, there's a bunch of references of books that have been written on the unanswered prayers of Jesus. 
I look at that and I cringe. I absolutely cringe. How can we say that Jesus' prayer was unanswered? The prayer is answered. The answer is no. And, and Jesus is not left in the dark about that. If there's another way, Father, I'm all ears here. I know there's no other way. This is what I've got to do. It's, I think that that's what's going on. It's not like, well, you know, if there's some other way, you know, if there's some other way, I mean, we've got to hang out here in the garden until we discover if there's another way or not. That's not what's going on at all. Jesus is resolved. He's answered. There's, there's no lack of an answer here. It's not according to the Father's will. Nor is it according to Jesus' will either. Jesus, we see the humanity of Jesus in this, in this passage. Let's not forget the divinity of Jesus. And the divinity of Jesus being completely one with the Father and one with the Holy Spirit. And for that matter, the humanity of Jesus is completely one there as well. But Jesus is really displaying to us how we're to approach the Father in prayer. Especially with the words, not as I will, but as you will. So when we read these words, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. We need to understand, and when we're talking to people uh, who are expressing objections, you know, I've prayed for years and I haven't heard anything, I have no answer. We need to understand that uh, it, it, if we're praying for something that's not in accordance with the will of the Father, we shouldn't expect an answer, uh, to at least the answer that we're expecting. We're going to get an answer. It just might not be what we're expecting to get. You follow what I'm saying here? There's going to be an answer. It might just not be going the way that we want it to go. Here we see Jesus is submitted to the will of the Father. He gets his answer in the garden. And he goes through with the will of the Father. He has come to do the will of the Father. It is a good pleasure to do the will of the Father. That's what he lives for is doing the will of the Father. He certainly gets an answer in the garden. And God overcomes the greatest difficulty uh, that, that has ever been known to man. Namely, the salvation of God's people. So what we see here is that the answer no in no way compromises the promise that Jesus is giving us. I'll say a few more things. If we move on to the condition, I hopefully will be able to flesh this out a little bit more because I'm seeing, I'm reading on some of your faces, we're like, okay, I half get this. Uh, let's look at the condition. Let's look at the next part. And I think it's going to start to come together. Notice the condition given in verse 21. And it's also repeated in part in verse 22. The condition is if you have faith and do not doubt. You see that? And at the bottom in verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, uh, you receive if you have faith. You see that? There's a promise here, uh, but there's also a condition here. Um, and, and the condition is an, an unwavering confidence in God. It's approaching God with this unwavering confidence uh, that these difficulties are going to be overcome, that the prayer is going to be answered, uh, that God will uh, hear us and He will indeed answer us. Now, this is where a lot of prayer goes awry. And in some cases, this is where uh, the, prayer, the prayers of our friends are going to rye whenever they uh, proclaim um, uh, objections like we hear sometimes in counseling or we might hear at work somewhere someone wants to talk. Well, I've been praying about this for years and I haven't gotten any prayer. Well, perhaps this is an area where it's going wrong. Uh, we may believe that God can do what we're asking and uh, 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 
we may be fully committed that he there would be no problem for him to do it but maybe we're not confident that he will do it um, or in some cases we're not confident that he is willing to do it um, you know in in other cases I'm afraid we approach him thinking our our request is probably not part of his will I mean we can start qualifying Jesus words here to the point that they they basically die the death of a of a thousand qualifications uh, to where now we find ourselves we're, we're in prayer we've got a certain difficulty that we want to overcome and uh, we're, we're calling on the Lord really and maybe with not really all of the unwavering confidence that we could be praying to the Lord in um, um, now this again let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane because uh, this helps us put this together Jesus in his humanity is looking he knows what's going to happen in the garden he knows he knows what the next 24 hours are going to be like and he asks for another way but he he goes to the father in full expectation that he's going to be answered he goes to the Father with full expectation that if there is another way, it's going to be provided for him. He goes to the Father with full expectation that this difficulty is going to be overcome, even if it means he has to go through the suffering. And that's a completely different way of looking at things. It's a completely different way of looking at things. Sometimes uh, we'll go to the Lord and we have this difficulty that's causing a lot of irritation in our life for whatever reason and we want the Lord to take it away and we ask the Lord to take it away we ask the Lord to take it away and sometimes the answer is no not right now it's not that we haven't been answered it's just that it's best that this difficulty remains for a little while again we can look back at the Garden of Gethsemane for strength for that difficulty we can look back at the Garden of Gethsemane into the prayer life of Jesus we can look to the promises that we have here in verses 18 through 22 in Matthew 21 and we can gain, we can gain strength from it okay if this difficulty must stay in my life then there is a good purpose for this difficulty to be in my life what is the purpose of this difficulty? I don't know but there's a reason but we've been answered we've certainly been answered now before I move on I want to mention a couple other things that that can hinder our prayers you know especially as we especially as we think about objections to this verse people say look at this verse you can't trust the Bible because this verse I prayed for things uh, for a long time and I've never gotten any answer well there are passages in Scripture that tell us uh, where God basically says in Scripture says listen it unless these certain conditions are met I'm not gonna answer you and, and this is really helpful when you take people through these verses they say you know I, I, I've seen the lights go off in counseling uh, where you say you know God you know maybe God hasn't answered them if he hasn't answered them it's because he's promised that he won't answer them let me give you an example here uh, the first thing that I would mention would be self-centered desires you know when we have when we come to the Father with purely self-centered desires we always go to the father with self-centered des desires to some degree but when our prayer life is really this kind of a self-centered desire kind of prayer life James tells us that he says ask uh, and do not you know when you ask and do not receive 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And maybe some of you are familiar uh, with, that, with that verse. What's James saying? He says, you ask, you go to the Father, you pray, uh, but you don't receive anything because you're asking uh, for purely selfish uh, reasons. Uh, the, the idea here is that our prayer lives need to be growing uh, with the glory of God in mind. You know, as we, as we begin to focus more on the glory of God and less on our own personal desires and our own personal whims, uh, our prayer life actually will become much more in line with the prayer life of Jesus. You know, again, think about the garden. Uh, in one sense, Jesus would like to skip all of the suffering that awaits him, but what's he say? Not as I will, as you will. And that's the language of unwavering faith. That's the language of saving faith right there. Uh, Jesus is not going to the Father with these selfish desires, if you will. And sometimes we go to the Father uh, with, selfish with really a selfish aim, and we don't have the glory of God in mind, and uh, our prayers are wasted. Um, the second thing, which is very related to the first, is we must not seek power for the sake of uh, of power or seek power in prayer for the sake of power in prayer. Uh, obviously, if, if great difficulties are going to be overcome, uh, then prior, powerful prayer is needed. And there could be a temptation with a few personality types to want to seek uh, this power just for the sake of this power, uh, to want to seek it just for the sake of overcoming the difficulties, not for the sake of the glory of God. There's a character in the book of Acts that that does this. His name is Simon Magus. You know, Simon Magus is, uh, uh, you know, he watches the, the apostles come into uh, Samaria and lay their hands on the uh, Samaritans who were professing faith. And when the apostles laid their hands on the Samaritans, uh, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, this was right up Simon's alley because Simon was a magician and he used to spellbound audiences with his magic tricks. And when he sees this take place, he sees the uh, apostles lay their hands on uh, the Samaritans and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on him. You know, you can almost see his wheels turn and boy, this would be great for the magic show if we could get this going on. Boy, how wonderful this would be. Uh, we could really, and he approaches the apostles and said, listen, you know, just name your price here. Um, you know, let, let, let me buy this. I'd like to have that ability too. And of course he's rebuked. Uh, our, generally speaking, our... Uh, our motives aren't going to be that blatantly obvious. They're much more subtle than that. But it's very easy to pursue these kind of verses and pursue this kind of thing just for the sake of overcoming the difficulties and really not have the glory of God in mind. So that's why I, I want to cover it. The third thing here that I'll mention uh, is worldliness. Uh, in Psalm 66 and verse 18, the psalmist said, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I would have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is a spiritual principle I think we all know. When we're playing fast and loose with sin, and unbelief is sin, and we're toying fast and loose with unbelief, we have no reason to expect God to answer our prayers. We don't even have any reason to expect Him to even hear our prayers. And this is a good verse to show somebody. I prayed for years and this hasn't happened. I had a, a man one time up in Pittsburgh who was, you know, having marital difficulties and I've asked him how he's, I didn't ask him if he prayed, uh, if he had prayed, 
I asked him how he had prayed and he began to share with me how he had prayed. And uh, basically his, the, there, well, there wasn't any contrition in his prayer. There wasn't any, well, I could maybe be doing something to contribute to this. There wasn't any, Lord, show me my faults so that I can be a better husband. Show me, it, it, no, it didn't sound anything like that. I listened to it for a little while and, and then I showed him, and for, I can't remember if it's First Peter or Second Peter. I always have to look. I, my mind just never logs onto it. Where Peter basically says, listen, if you don't honor your wife, your hair, prayers are going to be hindered. You know, when this worldliness is in our hearts like this, we're cher cherishing iniquity in our hearts. I, I show him, here's a promise for you. You want to poke, you, you, you want to, you want to uh, ridicule the promise that Jesus is making that if we come to God in unwavering faith, the Lord will answer us. Well, God makes another promise over here. You come to Him playing, playing fast and loose with unbelief and sin, He's promising not to listen to you. So He's keeping His promise here. This is what we need to understand. A lot of times we go wrong with the condition. Now, we could talk about this a lot longer, but let's move on. We've, we've got a promise here, right? A promise that's predicated upon a condition. The promise is that we can remove great difficulties through the power of praying to the Father when we approach the Father with unwavering faith and unwavering confidence. Well, what should this do for us? It should fill our hearts with a holy expectation, shouldn't it? I mean, think about that. Um, Charles Spurgeon, writing on this, uh, and this is alarming. Wait until you hear what Spurgeon writes about this. He writes, quote, uh, speaking about this expectation, this gives us a grand checkbook on the bank of faith. <laughs> I remember reading that thinking, I wonder if he would use that same terminology today given all of the abuses uh, from uh, what we would call the name it and claim it community where we just name something and we claim it and we claim that God's going to do it. Uh, maybe he wouldn't use this language. But then I think to myself, you know something? I think that sometimes we want to get so far away from the, the name it and claim it kind of thing, you know, where God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have that big house up on the hill. All you need to do is just pray. God's going to, you're, you're a child of God. He's going to put you on that house. That kind of stuff. Sometimes I think we say, you know what, that's dangerous. We want to stay away from that. And we swerve so far away from that that we end up in a ditch on the other side of the road to where we don't, stick, we don't take verse 22 seriously. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. And that's why I want to bring this quote in here. Charles Spurgeon was not a pastor who would have had anything to do with the name and claim it stuff. But yet he writes, this gives us a grand checkbook on the bank of faith which we may use without stint. How wide are the terms? All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing. If we are enabled to pray the prayer of faith, we shall gain the blessing, be it whatever it may. But then he qualifies it. This is not possible concerning things unpromised or things not according to the divine will. Believing prayer is the shadow of the coming blessing. It is a gift from God, not a fancy of the human will, nor a freak of idle wishing. Believing ye shall receive, but too often the believing is not there. I think that's the area where we really need to be challenged, is the condition. The condition is the believing has to be there. 
Uh, and we might think to ourselves this morning, well, you know, I don't really feel this expectation you're talking about. Well, maybe it's because we don't feel the weight of the condition. Do we feel the weight of the condition? Do we believe it at all? We might ask ourselves. Is it true? Um, sometimes there's a spirit of the, uh, of the objection that, the, that, the, that is commonly raised in counseling. You know, I, I've prayed for years and nothing's ever happened. Sometimes there's a spirit of that in our lives. We've all prayed for things that have not worked out the way we wanted them to, haven't we? We've probably all done that many times, haven't we? Well, rather than ditching verse 22, let's begin to look at it through the lens of the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what I'm calling for. And let's really take a look at what takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read about it in the 26th chapter of Matthew, and you can read about it in the other uh, Gospels. We'll eventually get there and study it at length, but uh, we, we need to approach the Father with this unwavering confidence that He is going to remove these difficulties. He eventually will remove these difficulties that are in our lives. Uh, another difficulty will probably take its place, uh, but He will remove it. Um, we can think about many difficulties, you know. We, I, when I think about difficulties in prayer, I often think about unbelief. You know, we all have family and friends that don't believe, don't we? And we've all prayed for them, haven't we? Well, you know, um, and I even checked this last night with, with Mom. You know, over the last couple of years, we've prayed for my Uncle Bob. And, um, you know, I, I can say from experience that uh, Bob wouldn't even entertain a conversation about the Lord, as I've tried to have them. Uh, not very many times. He joined us, him and his wife joined us uh, on vacation one year, and I remember talking with him in private about the Lord, and you know, the conversation didn't last but maybe two minutes. I mean, uh, I, very clearly he didn't want to talk about the Lord, and I didn't want to, I, I don't want to push that. That's not wise, I don't think. I left it alone. It's better to pray for him, which is what we all did. We prayed for him, and we prayed for him, and we prayed for him, and we prayed for him. Well, you know, over the last, I don't know what year, year and a half, Bob is walking with the Lord. He's going to church. He's involved in his church, and uh, he's actively involved in the Lord. Here's another story for you. Listen to this story. You know, there's a man uh, who prayed for the salvation of his children for years and years and years, and uh, they, they wouldn't budge. Uh, uh, he prayed that they would come to Christ for years and years and years. No budge. Well, finally, the man, he ages, he becomes very ill. And on his deathbed, he pleads with his children to come to Jesus, and they wouldn't budge. And he dies. He passes away. And uh, at his funeral, his children begin discussing as they're all together. You know, Dad really loved Christ. And they say, yeah, you know, he did. That's one thing we can say about Dad. He loved Christ. He did. He loved him. You know, Dad also really walked closely with Christ for all those years. He, he did. And one sibling said to the other siblings, maybe we ought to do the same thing. And that led to the start that eventually led to all of those children coming to Christ. The man didn't see the prayer answered, but he prayed for it all his life. 
You know, we think about difficulties. We think about people that are engaged in self-destructive behavior. That's another one of my big ones. You know, I'm always praying for people who are in self-destructive behavior, whether it be addiction or it could be all kinds of things. And the fact of the matter is, you know, God delivers people from self-destructive behavior. And He does it every day. Today, somebody's going, and more than some one person, today, people are going to be delivered from self-destructive behavior. And it's going to be the result of unwavering prayer. As we come to the Lord in unwavering confidence, your will be done. Not our will be done, your will be done. But I'm in the posture of prayer here, and I have your promise, and therefore, I have an expectation that this is going to be done. Probably not the way I think it's going to be done. In fact, I have more than an expectation. I know that my prayer actually is part and parcel of all of this. My prayers are actually part of this whole machinery that's taking place here. You've ordained it as such. I pray for Joey or Susie or whoever it is who's involved in all this self-destructive behavior. I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord, but I want to pray for them. I pray for them. That's how mountains are moved. That's how mountains are moved. We see a promise. Oh, what a great promise it is. If that promise hasn't hit you this morning, then work on this this afternoon. Yeah. We see the condition. It's unwavering confidence. Maybe we have some repentance to do. I, I, I have repentance to do. Maybe we have some repentance to do. But boy, may our hearts be full of expectation that God will do things. Isn't that wonderful? Heavenly Father, oh Lord, what do we say in response to so many of these texts as we think about how wonderful they are, as we think about how lovely they are. And in this case, Lord, as we think about how powerful it is, that, oh Lord, you're busy doing wonderful things and removing mountains and doing things every day. And you, it has been your goodwill to include us in the machinery of that. No, Lord, I pray that you will totally, totally remodel the way that we pray and the posture that we pray in, Lord, that, Lord, we would see the promise that's before us, the promise to move mountains, that anything that we ask, whatever we ask in prayer, we shall receive, providing it's according to your will and it's not dying in, in selfish desires, providing that, it, that, it, that, that we come to you in saving faith and, un, and an unwavering confidence that you'll work. And I pray, O oh Lord, you'll fill our hearts with with the weight of that holy expectation, Lord, that our prayer lives would be completely changed. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said,